Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Strangers in Jerusalem YouTube channel and podcast, where we explore the Gospels and the Jesus traditions within their Jewish context. I'm Dr. Trevin Hatch. Thank you for tuning in to this, this episode. You can find the podcast version, if you prefer that, over the videos. You can find that at strangersinjerusalem.podbean.com. Also, check out my recently published book. This was published in 2019. It's called A Stranger in Jerusalem, Seeing Jesus as a Jew. You will find many insights and footnotes and sources in that book relevant to these issues. In this episode, we will be looking at the labor, occupation, and education of a typical boy like Jesus living in rural Galilee. As always, please click the subscribe button below and tell me in the comments something new that you learned in this video. Be grateful, one Pablo. Today is especially delicious. Indeed it will be. So follow me. Let's go to Jerusalem. One of the obvious subjects that has garnered scholarly attention is the agrarian lifestyle and the economy of ancient Roman Palestine. It seems that most village folk worked and often struggled to make to produce more than what was just necessary to survive. Families generally, generally produced their own crops, they made their own clothes, and they built and maintained their own shelters. The average village household could not produce a large surplus of resources to export, to sell off. Between the needs of their own household and the needs of, of other households in the village and taxes, which was about 20 to 35 percent annually, between all of that, the resources were depleted. Whoa, 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 whoa. Yes, several factors contribute to this problem, including droughts, crop diseases, bandits, and military disturbances. A season that produced surplus would have been a tremendous boon for any household or village because then they could be sold for profit and, re and reduce the debts. This economic reality heavily impacted children, particularly their roles in the family and their development to adulthood. This type of subsistence level economic lifestyle required children to work and learn a trade at significantly younger ages than children in today's society. Each able-bodied individual in the household necessarily needed to help with the production of goods and crops. Children in wealthy families, they lived in a more luxurious household, a better lifestyle, and so they enjoyed a work-free childhood. It is no concern of mine whether your family has... What was it again? Um, food? Ha! You really should have thought of that before you became peasants. Thank you for that, Yzma. An example would be that children living in aristocratic families in Jerusalem or other big cities were well-educated in Greek customs and subsequently entered a lucrative career like tax farming, lending, or administrative posts in the government. Wealthy families also owned and were closer in proximity to the power structures and therefore had more access to resources. In contrast, children in poor villages, or what we would say today is middle-class villages, were required to learn a trade and start contributing to the 
the production of goods and services early in life because the family's survival depended on it. To clarify, we must not assume that agricultural families in rural Galilee were utterly destitute. While it is true that many families in ancient Palestine had to, by necessity, work hard and live frugally from year to year, it seems that most families had sufficient resources for their needs after paying taxes to the government and, and giving offerings to the temple. According to the rabbis in the Tosefta, this is a, a text dated to around 200 CE, the father was obligated to teach his son a trade. So here's the text I'll put up on the screen. Quote, what is a commandment pertaining to the father concerning the son? It's to circumcise him, to redeem him if he is kidnapped, and to teach him Torah, and to teach him a trade, and to marry him off to a girl. Rabbi Judah says, Whoever does not teach his son a trade teaches him to be a mugger. So you can get an idea of the types of duties that a father was obligated and the types of things that were important to them. This backdrop helps us place Jesus's childhood in context. His family had enough resources to survive, but Jesus would have learned how to work as a young child and would have been trained at an early age in the skill of his father. The King James Bible and other English translations suggest that Joseph and Jesus were carpenters. This is Mark 6.3 and Matthew 13.55. Our modern conception of, of carpenters is that they create and repair wooden structures including all of the necessary smaller parts. Movies and art often depict Joseph and Jesus cutting wood beams and making furniture. In almost every Jesus movie, you will see them working with, with wood. The Greek word tekton, this is where we get that, that is where we get carpenter. Tekton denotes a much broader definition. A tekton was a builder. This is one who was trained in constructing door frames, doors, latches, beams for the roofs of houses, boxes, cabinets, plows, yokes, and boats. I mention all this because those are mentioned in, in, the, in the sources. Now you notice that all of those have to do with wood, but many commentators have suggested that because tectone refers to general builders being a builder or a craftsman, they would have also worked with stone. In Hebrew, the word for carpenter also refers to an artisan and a builder who worked with many materials, including stone. This would especially be true concerning the rocky, mountainous, Galilean environment in which Jesus was raised. The reference to tectone in Mark 6.3 or the son of a tectone in Matthew 13.55 may have been used by the authors as a literary device for their intended audience. So what do I mean by this? I don't think that this is just a passing reference to Jesus as a carpenter. I think this has theological implications for early Christians. The author of Matthew seems to make a point of drawing readers' attention to the word tekton because we see this word appear in a chiasm, like in a poetic form. So I'll put it right up here on the screen for you. Notice in Matthew 13, as you pro progress through this passage, it's, a, it's in a very symmetrical structure. So the, the passage opens up says, and it says, Jesus comes to his patris or hometown. Jesus comes to his hometown. The people were astounded. They say, where did this man get this authority? Or where did this man get this is what they say. And then the middle passage, the answer, the key part of that passage is Jesus's association with being a tectone in verse 55. And then the passage reverses itself. The people again say, where did, all, where did this man get all this? The people were offended and then prophets are not accepted in their patris. Same word for hometown, right? Same word that appears at the beginning of that passage. So it seems that Matthew is trying to make a point by structuring that whole passage around the, the term of tectone, where we get carpenter. The Hebrew equivalent of tectone is harash. It can mean artisan, but it also de it denotes one who creates, 
designs, plows, and plants seed. And this was used metaphorically even by the rabbis as sexual relations. The reason why they use that word is because this is procreation, one who creates. And they even pointed this to God, this word associated with God, as both a creator of the world and a creator of human life. So you can see how that term is pregnant with meaning, theological meaning. Another possible connection with this meaning is the mantle that fell upon Jesus at the beginning of his ministry. Why do we say that? Why do we say it's, the, it's an authoritative mantle? Well, it's because near the end of Elijah's ministry, Elijah approach, approached his successor, Elisha. And what was Elisha doing when Elijah approached him? He was plowing with his 12 oxen. The Hebrew word for plowing in this story is the verbal form of harash. So Elijah passed by and cast the mantle upon Elisha, and this is 1 Kings chapter 19, passed the mantle upon Elisha while he was being a harash. Notice that the elements of this episode in Mark and Matthew presenting Jesus as a harash, or tecton in Greek, who already had 12 disciples. This may be highlighting the mantle that had fallen upon him. So Jesus is often compared, as we will explain in another episode. We also talked about this in the baptism episode, where Jesus, the, the gospel writers compare Jesus to Elisha in, in many different places. So they know that they have him in mind as they, as they talk about Jesus. So it's not a stretch, this interpretation, to show that where Jesus called 12 apostles and then he's called a tecton or a harash in Hebrew is sort of echoing Elisha's experience when he received authority from his predecessor. And notice that Jesus' predecessor, according to the Gospels, is John, who was compared to Elijah. Okay, so note also that 12 oxen is associated with Solomon's temple. This is the, on, the molten sea was located on the backs of 12 oxen. This is 2 Chronicles chapter 4, verses 2 through 4. The authors of Mark and Matthew seem to have borrowed concepts from the Hebrew Bible, from the Hebrew scriptures, in order to link Jesus with the temple, the most important institution for the Jewish people and their relationship with God. Those closest in proximity to God were the architects of the temple. The Hebrew and Greek words for craftsmen, harash or tecton, is often directly related to those who served in various capacities in constructing the tabernacle and the temple. So here, I'll put up on the screen, you can see these references, Exodus 35, 35, Exodus 38, 23, 2 Kings 22, 6, 1 Chronicles 22, 15, 1 Chronicles 29, 5, 2 Chronicles 24, 12, 2 Chronicles 34, 11, and Ezra 3, 7. I apologize, that's a big long list, but those of you who want to look those up, I'll put them on the screen, and those of you who want to look those up, you can, you can look those, you can see how a craftsman or a tradesman directly associated with the temple, is has that word associated with him. So here's an example. The lesser known key figure in Exodus, Betzalel, that, this is a guy who was charged to, to build the tabernacle. His name actually means in the shadow of God, Betzalel, in the shadow of God. He was from the tribe of Judah and was called by God as the chief architect or a tecton. In his role, Betzalel was filled, quote, filled with the spirit of God in wisdom and in understanding and in knowledge. This is Exodus 31, 1 through 5, and Exodus 35, 31. God provided an assistant for Betzalel, and his assistant was named Aholiav. His name means Father's Tabernacle. He was given increased understanding and wisdom in relation to his role as a tecton to construct the tabernacle furniture and the Ark of the Covenant. You can check out Exodus 31 
and 35 in chapter 38. Not only was the connection made in the Hebrew scriptures between tekton and tabernacle, but later Jewish commentators associated the word craftsman with scholar, probably based on Betzalel and Oholiav being blessed with increased wisdom and knowledge. And note that Jewish sages associated both the Hebrew and Aramaic words for craftsmen with recognized scholars who teach God's word, sages. Okay, so that's a little bit of an aside, a theological aside on carpenter and how, how that is understood in antiquity. But what about socioeconomic status? Okay, Joseph and Jesus as train builders in Lower Galilee would, have, would not have been rich by our modern standards, but Jesus's family would have had sufficient resources to meet their needs. So therefore, our, our often sensational claims that Jesus was born and raised in the most humble of circumstances and that he was the poorest of the poor is simply not accurate. Throughout his life, Jesus, at least according to the Gospels, had connections with all classes of society, ranging from the most impoverished even to the wealthy. Think You think about people like Nicodemus and even Peter had a house had, had resources he, in Matthew and others. He had he had associations. Joseph of Arimathea, uh, a rich man, knew either Jesus or somebody close to Jesus. So yes, the, his status as a prophet figure who worked miracles was questioned by some because he was a builder's son who came from Nazareth. However, this suspicion was not raised because Jesus's because of his economic status, but rather because of his circumstances. After all, how could such a gifted miracle worker and prophet be so ordinary, raised in Nazareth, and be a rural builder? That was their issue, not, not that he was poor. Nevertheless, Jesus seemed to have been praised and respected as a teacher by many influential people, at least according to the authors of the Gospels. And you can check out Luke 20, 39 and John 3, 1 and 2. These are more aristocratic, wealthy people coming to Jesus to, to speak with him. It seems unlikely that he would have garnered positive attention from so many people if his family was from the lowest socioeconomic class. Jesus's childhood had prepared him to be educated, socially savvy, and economically competent. Another issue worth considering here is the education of Jewish children, and especially boys in ancient Judea and Palestine. Very little literary or archaeological evidence exists of a systematic and extensive primary and secondary education system in first century Palestine. Greek and Roman children, at least those from wealthy families, received formal education in classrooms typical among modern societies today. Lower class children received no such formal training, but they learned a trade. In Jesus's case, he learned to be a builder. Estimates on the percentage of children who attended school is about 5 to 15 percent. I think 15 percent is even high, but 10% or lower. Consequently, very few people in Greco-Roman world were literate. The percentage of literate peasant children in Galilee may have been on the lower side of the scale. From the dearth of primary source material available, it seems that the home was the primary educational institution for most Jewish children. The level of rigor of the child's education was contingent upon the parent's knowledge base. But what can be said of religious education? How would Jesus have learned about the stories of the Hebrew scriptures and, and also Jewish law? Well, according to the Gospels, Jesus was highly competent in debating and teaching by age 12. And when we should also note that when Jesus is debating, either in his ministry with the Pharisees or at the age of 12 when he's talking and debating elders, we we assume that these are hostile debates, but they're not. I will talk in a future video about Jesus's relationship with the Pharisees and this custom of debating. The rabbis adopted the philosophical system of the school, the philosophical schools, where they debated a lot 
especially over a meal, a mealtime symposia is what they call it. They would debate a lot and they would debate philosophy where the rabbis would debate Jewish law. So here is Luke 2, verse 41 through 47. And it kind of talks about Jesus by the age of 12, having gained a certain skill and knowledge base. Now every year, his parents went to Jerusalem for the festival of the Passover. And when he was 12 years old, they went up as usual for the festival. When the festival was ended and they started to return, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem, but his parents did not know it, assuming that he was in the group of travelers that they went a day's journey. Then they started to look for him among their relatives and friends. When they did not find him, they returned to Jerusalem to search for him. After three days, they found him in the temple, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. And all who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. Now, this didn't only happen to Jesus. This happened to other people. Here's an account of Josephus, our first century Jewish historian. There's a, here's, he's got a similar account here. Here's, here's what he says. While still a boy, really about 14 years old, I used to be praised by everyone because I was a lover of books. The chief priests and principal men of the city would often meet to understand the legal matters more precisely with my assistant. A few years later, Josephus says, when he was 16 years old, he began learning from a tutor, a desert dweller named Banus, Notice that Jesus's, it's potentially that Jesus's tutor or his mentor was John the Baptist, who goes out into the desert and is a desert washer. We talked about this in the bat, one of the baptism episodes. Jesus's tutor is John the Baptist, who goes into the wilderness and is a frequent desert washer. So is Josephus's teacher. He's his, this guy named Banus is out in the wilderness, and Josephus studied with him, and he learned for three years. Studied this with this guy for three years about the various Jewish philosophers and philosophies: Pharisaism, Sadduceeism and Essenism, Pharisees, Sadducees, and Essenes. And he learned about their differences of interpretation of Jewish law. So how did youths like Jesus and Josephus acquire their knowledge in their early years of adolescence? Well, according to Jewish law, most young Jews received religious training at home. For example, Jewish parents would have been aware of the injunction in the Hebrew scriptures, this is in the story of Abraham, to quote, charge his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord. A few passages in Deuteronomy explicitly command parents to teach their children the laws. Quote, recite them to your children and talk about them when you are at home and when you are away, when you lie down and when you arise, unquote. That's Deuteronomy 6, 7, and 11, 19. Later Jews, including the Jewish philosopher Philo, understood from these very verses that the obligation to transmit knowledge of commandments and vir virtuous actions to the next generation fell upon the father. In addition to basic home-centered religious learning, many Jewish children would have received training at the local synagogue. Young Jewish males may have attended learning sessions outside of gatherings for prayers and the readings of the Torah, but this is unclear exactly the, the system they had in place to teach the kids of the village. But it, it seems that at minimum, Jesus would have been present in the synagogue to hear the readings, hear the expositions, the lectures, and the discussions on scripture when he attended the synagogue with his parents. Uh, a passage in, in Deuteronomy mandates that children gather with their parents in public to learn. Here's Deuteronomy 31, quote, assemble the people, men, women, and children, as well as aliens or foreigners residing in your towns. Gather them so that they may hear and learn to fear the Lord your God and to observe diligently all the words of the law, unquote. Jesus must have been attentive to this aspect of his education because he has his knowledge far exceeded his years as a youth, according to the, to the Gospel of Luke, as we just read.
That's all for this video. Thanks for watching. Again, subscribe if you enjoy learning about the Jewish context of Jesus's ministry. Also, please tell me, again, please tell me in the comments something new that you learned in this episode. But as always, you will find this information and many other details in my book, A Stranger in Jerusalem, Seeing Jesus as a Jew.